this man. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is this your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, 
If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God that we can uh, gather here to read the book um, and read the book together without fear of the authorities. Praise God. Um, well, I've entitled this morning's sermon Jesus Before Pilate Truth and Irony. <clears throat> you might be wondering, what is irony? Well, um, actually, it's quite difficult to define irony. We kind of um, know it when we see it, don't we? Uh, if you Google it, what is irony, you'll find lots of helpful definitions. Some of those definitions, to me, sound a lot like sarcasm. And that's probably because sarcasm, in a sense, is a form of irony. Um, things that are ironic um, have more meaning than was perhaps originally intended. Or a different meaning is evident, different to the one intended. Or perhaps it's ironic, irony is when you have two truths set together so that a third truth becomes manifest. That's ironic. Or um, <clears throat> irony is perhaps when um, things turn out the opposite of expectations in a somehow meaningful and amusing way. Um, <clears throat> I uh, love public notices that turn out to be ironic, uh, such as International Clairvoyance Conference cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. Or a couple of uh, notices from church bulletins, courtesy of, of Penny Back. Thank you, Penny. Um, one such notice, don't let anxiety and worry kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> or Miss Charlene Manson saying, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. And one of my personal favourites from Rottnest Island, a sign that you see whenever you leave the settlement that says, no drinking water outside the settlement. <laughs> really? Why not? It doesn't matter how much, it doesn't matter too much how we define irony, um, and I think it can be difficult to pin it down. Irony is actually a form of truth. It's a way of revealing truth. And... Uh, irony might just be uh, perhaps the best way of describing what it is that we'll see today uh, in the passage we're looking at. For as we move towards our Easter weekend in our reading, the events turn towards the first Easter weekend. We move from hearing about Jesus' arrest 
to hearing about his trial before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And the land of Judea, of course, uh, is under Roman occupation at this point in history, and it has been so for some decades. Pontius Pilate is Caesar Tiberius's representative, the highest authority in the land. There is one practical reason why the Jewish authorities must take Jesus to Pilate, a reason that our text today makes clear, and that is this. They want Jesus dead, and they have, under Roman occupation, lost the right to administer the death penalty. They must therefore somehow convince the Roman governor to administer capital punishment on their behalf. All they have to do, they know, is to convince Pilate that Jesus is claiming to be a king or in any other similar way preaching rebellion to Roman authority, preaching rebellion or insurrection against Caesar Tiberius. For, of course, the Romans had but one punishment for such a crime and it was death. And for the person found guilty of this crime, wherein that person wasn't a Roman citizen, then there was one form of death prescribed, crucifixion. When it comes to thinking about Jesus before Pilate, the action unfolds for us very approximately in three scenes. Scene one, Jesus and Pilate have a private conversation. Scene two, enter Barabbas. Scene three, Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders have a very public conversation, a conversation that settles things, and Jesus is led away to be crucified. Scene one. Jesus and Pilate have a private conversation. The scene is set by a dawn parade up to Pilate's palace to present him to Pilate, and we are immediately faced with an irony in order to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they refuse to enter the palace, for they want to be able to eat the Passover. Um, obviously blind to the irony that they're there to commit um, judicial manslaughter, um, murder, um, that doesn't bother their conscience, but hanging out with dirty Gentiles does. Um, yeah, it's ironic. Uh, they, they, once they're there, they do not present formal charges. Rather, their approach is, is sly and shrewd. Their language is designed to manipulate others. Uh, verse 29, so Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Uh, Jesus had, had said not only uh, would he die, but that he would be lifted up, that it was necessary for him to be crucified. Many times he's escaped death by stoning, his death must be by crucifixion. Well, 
in, uh, in response, Pilate summons Jesus inside and they speak privately, so to speak. Privately in the sense of not public. Yet, of course, there would have been servants and administrators and various minions would have been present to witness it. Pilate's question in all four Gospels is simply this. Are you the king of the Jews? In other words, are you a rebel? Are you rebelling against Caesar and Roman rule? And in Matthew, Mark and Luke, Jesus answers with, you have said so. Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. And in response, Pontius Pilate immediately goes and tells the Jewish religious leaders that he finds no basis for a charge against him. So what did Pilate hear by those words, you have said so? I don't think we can be entirely sure, but Pilate probably knew already. He probably had heard of Jesus already, probably knew already that Jesus was, in his mind, some kind of spiritual guru or religious teacher who posed no real political threat to him or to Caesar, and that it was out of some kind of envy and jealousy that the religious leaders of Jerusalem were now ganging up on him. And that, hearing these words of Christ in that light, Jesus himself was now denying any claim to be king in the conventional sense. That's what we get in the other three Gospels. John enlarges that somewhat into a fuller conversation. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? replied Pilate. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Well, of course Jesus is a king. As believers in Jesus Christ, reading John's Gospel, we already know that Jesus is king more perfectly and fully than Pilate could possibly imagine. He is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king of the Gentiles as well. He is not only a king, but he is the king, the source of all kingship, the perfect expression of kingship, and therefore, in every conceivable way, king of kings and lord of lords. Of course Jesus is a king. But equally, he is not a king in the conventional human sense. Jesus is not a king in the sense that Caesar Tiberius has to stop being Caesar and that Pontius Pilate has to stop being Roman governor. But Jesus is a king in the sense that Caesar Tiberius must stop 
being Caesar, and Pontius Pilate must stop being governor except in obedience to Jesus and in the imitation of Jesus. Jesus' kingship is breaking in. And wherever people exercise whatever authority they're being given in obedience to Jesus and in the imitation of Jesus, led by the spirit of Jesus, there is the kingdom of Jesus. For Jesus is most certainly King of kings and Lord of lords. But of course, we already knew this. So, so what, what is John telling us? Well, again, he is reminding us that Jesus is God's truth sent into the world by God in order that the truth might be made visible in the flesh. Jesus is the truth about who God is. And Jesus is the truth about who we are meant to be. And as a race in rebellion against things, we're not going to react terribly well to this. In fact, we cannot react well to this except that the Holy Spirit enables us to see it for what it is exceedingly marvellous good news. Thus, everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus, or as it is more literally, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, says Jesus. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But Pilate responds, what is truth? And that is ironic in so many different ways. What did Pilate mean? Well, we can be quite sure that Pilate isn't just requesting information. He isn't saying, oh, I'm unfamiliar with that concept. Please explain. Please define truth. He knows what truth is in the everyday sense of a legal statement, either being true or false testimony. But because he terminates the conversation with this question, what is truth? It's obviously some kind of rhetorical device or rebuttal. I think he's probably being dismissive, unintentionally dismissive, but it's a, it's a dismissal. He's made up his mind that Jesus is indeed some kind of religious philosophy teacher and no real threat to the political order. He's found what he's looking for in an immediate practical sense. But the question is ironic insofar as he's just asked, quite possibly, the most important question that any human being can ever ask. What is truth? And he's asked the one man in all of human history who can give a definitive answer. Yet he has not stopped to listen to that answer. He's not stopped to listen to the voice of truth. And that's extraordinary. Well, we began uh, this sermon this morning by asking, what is irony? Now might be a good time to, along with Pontius Pilate, ask, what is truth? And if you Google it, the definition that is provided is, truth is the quality or state of being true. <laughs> Which, as you've already noticed, doesn't help much. But perhaps that actually accurately reflects the fact that human beings have an extremely uneasy relationship with truth. Pontius Pilate perhaps asks this question, what is truth, on behalf of us all. 
And on behalf of us all, he doesn't wait to hear what the answer is. The, the, the modernist world, going back now about a century, maybe more, the modernist world was supremely confident in objective fact as truth. And that kind of truth would save the world. Faith in science and progress would save the world. But in the early part of the 20th century, that all began to unwind. The new physics was teaching that at the most fundamental level, this universe is uncertain, random. Chance reigns at the quantum level. The two world wars in particular undermined modernist confidence, and by the 1970s, postmodernism was sweeping the Western world, beginning with university campuses. Postmodernism believed that objective truth could not be known except through subjective truth. Truth as it is experienced. And what might be true for you might not be true for me because of differences in our experiences. And that was postmodernism. But of course, now we live really in a post postmodernist world, which has destroyed the concept of truth entirely. The one absolute truth is that there is no one absolute truth, a logical whirlpool of self-contradiction that is sucking in the entire world. But even before that, most human families, cultures and societies placed other values above truth. Honour or saving face or keeping the peace, the truth must bow to them. All of them, some of them, lying is therefore not only acceptable, but it is praiseworthy and, more to the point, necessary. And that leaves us as a species vulnerable to a, a, a terrible disease known as ideology because nature obviously abhors a vacuum. And having discarded truth, uh, we're open to ideologies of every type and description where truth must, by definition, bow to whatever ideal is being espoused. Be that the collective good or freedom of workers of the world unite or tolerance and universal freedom from the nasty feeling of offense. Whatever it might be, truth must bow to that ideal. Truth, on the other hand, is an important word for John. The word truth appears once in the Gospel of Matthew, once in the Gospel of Luke, twice in the Gospel of Mark. But the word truth appears 23 times in John's Gospel, and a further 19 times in his short letters, his epistles. It's an important word for John. What does John mean for us by recording these words out of the mouth of Pilate? What is truth? It's an irony that John has been telling us about from the beginning. Darkness does not grasp the light. It doesn't grasp the light in two ways. It cannot understand it, it cannot comprehend it, but it also can't overpower it, it can't destroy it. 
although it can have a jolly good go at that. And we know that Jesus is the truth. For truth ultimately is not an abstract idea or a philosophical construct, but truth is a person who expresses in his inherent being the truth about God, the truth about humanity, the truth about life and death, and the truth about this creation. Faced with the truth, Pilate asks, what is truth? In perhaps the most ironic moment ever in human history, someone asks, what is truth? Looking straight into the eyes of truth and doesn't wait for the answer. Pilate obviously considers his own word to be the final word, the end to the conversation. He's heard all that he needed to hear. Jesus is not a king in the conventional sense, but rather some kind of philosopher teacher. And so, verse 38, with this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Scene two, enter Barabbas. Um, verse 39, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back at him. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Um, Barabbas, this man Barabbas, he appears in all four Gospels. I personally would not have been surprised if I had not found him in John's Gospel, because John indeed knows that we already know all about him. Indeed, we know quite a bit about him from Matthew's Gospel. But John, possibly conscious of irony, in a way different to the other Gospelers, shows us that the inclusion of Barabbas, even when it's very short, the inclusion of Barabbas is essential to this story. And the ironies come thick and fast. Barabbas' full name is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus is a common Greek name in first century Palestine, the Greek form of a Hebrew name, Joshua. Both names, Jesus and Joshua, mean the Lord saves or Yahweh saves. Barabbas is an Aramaic name, meaning son of the father. In Hebrew, it would have been Ben Abba. Our Jesus is Jesus, son of the father. Now we're faced with another Jesus, son of the father. Ours is our Jesus is charged with insurrection and innocent. The other Jesus is charged with insurrection and guilty. Both Jesuses are offered up to the Jewish religious leadership. Our Jesus will be rejected with protests and, and shouts of crucify. The other Jesus will be accepted with open arms and cheering. Our Jesus will be tortured and crucified. The other Jesus will be set free. Jesus Barabbas is essential to the narrative because he shows us who the religious leadership of Jerusalem really are, and through them, who we really are. 
We're all, collectively, as a species, as a race, we're all desperate for a saviour. We're desperate for a messiah. But we want Satan's version, not God's. Away with Jesus of Nazareth! Give us James Bond! So Jesus is ridiculed as a parody and caricature of Jewish kingship. A crown of thorns and a purple robe. It's sarcastic worship. Flogging and slapping. The soldiers are enjoying themselves because they enjoy irony. And they're acutely aware of the irony. This man doesn't know who we are. This man thinks he can take on the might of Rome. He doesn't know what we do in the face of such things. This man has no idea who we are. But irony can be tragic as well as comic. And these men have no idea. They have no idea who they're dealing with. They have no idea that they will meet him again. Is that an ice cream bindle? There we are. Um, they have no they have no idea who he is. They have no idea that they will meet him again. And that on that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Hail Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Hail Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. A further irony is that Barabbas is the true parody. He's the caricature. He's the caricature of Jewish kingship. Jesus is the real thing. Jesus Barabbas is the fake. But they've got it backwards. Well, scene three. For Pilate, the light begins to dawn. Um, John gives us an extended and detailed conversation between Pilate and the Jewish religious authorities. Altogether, Pilate will tell them plainly three times that he finds no basis for a charge against him. Pilate is emphatically convinced that Jesus is innocent with respect to being any kind of troublemaker or guilty of any kind of criminal activity. He's also slowly becoming convinced that Jesus is indeed somebody special, somebody connected to God in a divine way. The term son of God was meaningful to the Romans, just as it was meaningful to the Jews, just in a slightly different way. Nevertheless, to, to the Romans, a son of God was somebody with supernatural ability, supernatural authority, and supernatural origin in some way, not somebody to mess with. And along the way, out of the mouth of Pontius Pilate, in this moment of glorious irony, he sums up all of Christian witness, testimony, and discipleship. Pontius Pilate sums up what it means to be a Christian when he says, verse 5, look at him. Or, as it's beautifully translated in Older English, behold the man. That's what it means to be a Christian. Look at Jesus. Understand who he is. Follow him. Behold the man. Well, 
as we'll see on Friday, when we look at the second half of chapter 19, we'll see that in one way or another, Pilate actually becomes a believer in Jesus. And in typical Yoannine style, in typical John Gospel style, his belief in Jesus, as immature as it may be, is immediately evidenced by him using his authority to point to Jesus' identity. I have written what I have written. He, he will use the power he has to put on public display the identity of Christ. Am I saying that Pilate was a born-again Christian? No, I can't say that. I've got no idea. But I think this is, in typical John style, a dawn experience. Neither night nor day. But he is on the way. And so John tells us in uh, chapter 19, verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Given that Pilate wants to free Jesus and is convinced of his, of his innocence and also now of his status as some kind of prophet, why then did Pilate acquiesce to the demands of the Jewish eldership? Why did he give in to them? Well, although Pilate was Roman governor, he was hardly omnipotent. He could insist upon some things, but there were also ways in which the Jews could make life unbearable for him if they really wanted to. Pilate and the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, they already had a long, dysfunctional and conflicted relationship. They knew how to press each other's buttons and control one another when they really had to. Uh, Matthew, in his Gospel, tells us about a growing uproar. One of Pilate's jobs as Roman governor was to keep the peace. And if a riot broke out in Jerusalem and news of that got back to Rome, it would be a significant black mark in his copybook, making him look weak and incompetent. Mark and Luke suggest that Pilate wanted to simply satisfy the crowd by granting their request, a common enough human failing. It was also the case that with respect to this affair, Pilate was, in legal terms, able to wash his hands of the whole thing, saying, it's your responsibility. John gives us some further nuances. Pilate, it turns out, was most effectively blackmailed. They are threatening to tell Caesar. They're threatening to dob on him. They're threatening to tell on him. They're threatening to tell Caesar that Pilate is himself a rebel, an insurrectionist, an ambassador gone native. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. It was about noon, a moment of utter clarity. 
the stark light of day. Here is your king. We have no king but Caesar. This is the lowest moment in the history of God's people. The, the more we know and understand our Old Testaments, the more we'll see in this exchange the desperately sad, desperately tragic irony of this moment. It's always been about uh, God as king. The question in the garden was about God as king. Sin is rejecting God as king. The history of Israel was always about God as king of Israel, so that Israel might be different. But of course, all they wanted was to be the same. Uh, wanting to be the same as the other countries around them with their powerful James Bond kings. We have no king but Caesar. It would be difficult to imagine more appalling words coming from the mouths of the religious leaders of Jerusalem. This is the most bitter of betrayals of God. And a moment of exquisite, extraordinary irony. Pontius Pilate, Roman governor, now a convinced and devout believer in Jesus as king of the Jews. And the Jewish religious leadership in Jerusalem, now convinced and devout believers in Caesar as king of the Jews. You wouldn't read it. In all of this, Pilate is not innocent. I might go to the next slide, just so people know there is an end to this sermon and we're approaching it rapidly. That, that's great. Um, thank you. In all of this, Pilate is not innocent. He might not be guilty in the way that others are guilty, but that doesn't make him squeaky clean. As Jesus explained, those others who handed him over were guilty of a greater sin, but Pilate was guilty too. So then, there is one more irony to be aware of. Pilate looks bad, the Jewish, leaders, Jewish religious leaders look bad, and insofar as these guys are just showing us ourselves, we look bad. But this isn't a play played out on the stage so as to just make us feel guilty. This is God's chosen vehicle for making things right. This is problem and solution both. This is sickness and cure together. Jesus is suffering these things as the only way to open up the way and to show us the way. This is the way it had to be.